I would like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on Jar Jar Wurrung country. We pay our respects to the traditional custodians of this land and acknowledge leaders and elders past, present and future. Thank you. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. I'm your host, Gail Wilson, and together we will go through a series of storytelling, conversations and strategies about leaning into life's lessons, the good, the bad and the downright painful, as we journey back to ourselves and back to our intuition. Through the lens of witness and reflection, we will work our way through a series of raw, stripped-back, relatable topics and personal experiences. There will be laughter, tears and the occasional swear word because, hey, life is too short to hold back. So come along with me on this journey and let's talk life. You can follow and subscribe to Soul Care Bendigo's Naked to get notifications for upcoming episodes as they land in your space. So lend me your ears and your heart as we go through this journey together. Hello, hello and welcome Soulies. This is Gail Wilson and you are listening to Soulco Bendigo's podcast, Naked. I am so excited. We have a very special guest today. Kate Muldoon is a legend. She is a legend in her craft, in her field. Kate has a business called Ladies with Tradies and I've been stalking slash following Kate for about three years And our plumbing business has recently aligned with her company for coaching. And the thing that I loved about Kate and what drew me to her, and you will also all love, is Kate speaks in a language that is so relatable. It's so personable. She's half between bravery, vulnerability, honesty, and just true love for other human beings. So I'm so excited that you guys get to let her shine and get to hear what she has to say. This episode today is about what matters in the end. And Kate, can you introduce yourself to us, please? Thanks, Gail. What a beautiful intro. I don't know if I can do much better than that. Really excited to have the opportunity to speak with you and also stalk and witness you over the last few years, (laughs) all of your beautiful growth and success with your beautiful Jace as well. So we both have Jasons, which is very nice and something that we have. A bit of a special breed, those ones. They are. I'm very, very privileged to be here. So thanks for having me. Now, Kate, this episode, as I just mentioned, it's called What Matters in the End. Now, the reason I feel really compelled to have this discussion with you and to share with others is that both of us have had substantial loss in our life, for you, the passing of your brother, and for me, the passing of our father. But even more so is that you've witnessed a lot of people leaving this world and this earth because you used to be a palliative care nurse back in the day. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So. My palliative care journey happened as a beautiful accident, like most things I do in life. And I had been working in aged care rehab over in Ballarat at the Queen Elizabeth Centre. And I went over to turn a patient in the palliative care unit because we shared the care between the two units overnight. Night duty, popping into a ward that I wasn't familiar with. And I was very lucky that the beautiful night duty nurse She saw something in me when I went to assist her to turn this beautiful, beautiful lady overnight. And what came from that is the manager of that unit coming over and saying, hey, I've heard about you, you need to come and do some shifts. I was so daunted at the concept of palliative care because all I knew of it was that people left their 
with their feet first. And so it was pretty confronting for me as a 21-year-old to be approached to go and do death and dying basically as a career. So I took the plunge and said yes and Googled how to do it later. And it was a beautiful opportunity where I could not have been more grateful for the experience of seeing people actually at their best but in what is the hardest time of their lives. So it's the greatest privilege ever to be a palliative care nurse and I did it for 10 years and I don't think you can ever take that out of a person. I'm always wanting to be involved and to be supporting people at the end when, like you're saying, Gail, it really matters. So it was an accident but the best thing that could have happened and it's grown me to be the way that I am with communication, I believe, and talk about the stuff that matters and not leave anything left unsaid because the regrets of the dying are significant and I've heard them over those 10 years often. I wish I had have told people I love them more. I wish I had have not cared what people think. I wish I hadn't have worked so hard and that's what led me to Ladies with Tradies as well. So that was an excellent experience. So during that time we lost my younger brother So he died in a car accident at 19 years of age. I was 26 at the time, 27 maybe, and that just rocked us as it does most people. But again, the gifts came and I have lived full out, I suppose you would say, because of that loss. And Mm. I think people have, I'm interested in your perspective on this, Gail, I feel like when people are confronted by their own mortality or the loss of a loved one, they kind of take one of two paths. They rise up due to it and recognise their responsibility to live a life that's full out or they crawl under the doona. I don't seem to have come across much in between. I think people try to crawl out from the doona occasionally, but they go back in and and they've got a bit of a hard done by mindset, which of course we are. Mm. somebody we love and we're very hard done by it isn't fair it's all the things that you don't want it to be in life but I think I've been very blessed as have our family to go whoa we have a responsibility to do this thing and do it good make a difference be of service and all of that type of thing so about 11 months after that I lost my partner of three years to a heroin overdose I did not know that Mm, so the big year and in between those two my beautiful pop died and I nursed him at end of life so I had pretty much three of the most significant men in my life taken out uh, in an 11 month period and again you think oh my gosh how can I get through but how do I get back how did you get back Well, I was very blessed to have a lot of very supportive people around me who cared deeply about me and so the palliative care unit, the nurses rallied around me, so did the palliative care physician and basically said, whatever you need, take the time, we'll make it work. And yeah, just great family, amazing friends and just had to give myself space. So Mm. I took time off. Both times, like for those two significant deaths, not so much for pop, but yeah, you just kind of have to give yourself space and remember that there is purpose, I suppose. And 
those people should never die in vain. That's a bit of my kind of philosophy is when you lose somebody that's so precious to you, then you need to create legacy for them. It's my job now to live the lives of those two young men. So I've got three of us to live for, mate. <laughs> and and do you know that's the thing? It's the realisation of would any other way be insulting to them? Mm. Oh. As in would any other way just be just the biggest waste of you? Oh, and they'd be so cross. I think about that all the time, you know. Yeah. Oh. He'd be so cross at me if I was under the doona or the times where it has gotten hard. And I'll be honest, I've had some tough times in the last six to 12 months with mental health. And I do each time laugh to myself and go, geez, Ferret would be pissed with me right now. He'd be yelling, get out from that doona girl. Like this isn't you. So it's a great anchor, I think. And so where's the balance with that for you? So we can't always be on. We acknowledge that. We can't always be on. Rest is just as much of a service to ourselves. So when did you notice that your rest was not actually functioning or serving you in the life you want to live? So when you talk about your mental health issues that you've had recently, and you've been so candid about this, and in fact, you've created this absolute opportunity for others to share their issues. Do you feel like for you, your depression was actually medically kind of created as in something that happened in your brain? Or do you think life just caught up with you and you had maybe been going too hard for too long and then it just caught up with you? Or do you think medically something changed? I think it's been both. And again, being very blessed to have had the space to process this experience that I'm journeying. The thing that I recognised first, which I was a long way down the path of depression before I even recognised it, was this real frustration and agitation. And so I believe that was probably more the cellular stuff starting to finally kick me in the butt. Yeah. But now that I've had that time and through psychology and counselling and processing I look back, it's probably been 18 months to two years of just this steady decline. And that has been from burnout. So I'd experienced a slight bit of burnout as a palliative care nurse, but I felt like I had a reason back then, you know, oh, well, I'm a palliative care nurse. I see people die every single day. Of course, I'm a bit cooked, you know. But then having my own business and this great team and great husband and great clients and comfortable financially, like living the dream, you don't allow yourself to have a reason to. That's right. And that's probably the biggest thing we've been lied to about mental health, isn't it? There doesn't need to be a reason. And that's the thing that confronted me the most, Gail, is that I had believed that, you know, I've got, I'm a nurse for goodness sake. And I truly to my core believe you don't need a reason for depression to be part of your world. Mm. However, Your mind, when you're inside of that process, doesn't allow you to accept that for some reason. So, and this is where I'm getting around touting vulnerability and, you know, you've got to tell people how you feel. But I was living this process and it was only at Christmas time, just gone, where I went, hang on, I'm sitting around here with all the bestest humans in the world that I adore to bits and I got no joy. I got nothing. Yeah, your cup was not full. No, No, your normal things were working. 
and I was exercising, doing all the right things and still no good. So I think there was an element of going too hard for too long, not doing cup soul-filling rest, which you would be a massive promoter of, of course, Gail, or dismissing the rest that I was getting as, oh, yeah, it's enough, it's enough, it's enough, it's enough, never switching the head off, and then on top of that probably a bit of chemical imbalance just to really kick my ass into bed. Um, (laughs) Thanks, universe. So many, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening for me? Yes, where's the gift here? Why do I not want to get out of bed? And I'm like, I'm not here to joke about, you know. Yeah, I understand. Depression and that kind of thing. But I do giggle at myself because I'm such an avid advocate for the mental health side of life. But I missed it. Mm. I think too is recognizing that what is restful for one is different for another. So if someone says to you, slowing down or exercising or not exercising or sleeping more, it's different. And so you've got to trial what works for you. So I know for me in overwhelm, in chaos in my mind, I need water. So sit me in water or sit me by water and it will replenish me. Sleeping in, afternoon naps doesn't do it. It does for so many other people that I know. Sleeping is a big part of that and they need to do more and more and more. I just always felt really foggy as that being a strategy for me. And then I started to recognize that it was my soul that needed the love just as much as all the other elemental parts of myself. And so talking to that and creating that to be a separate network that I needed to work on and you know, really figure out what that, what's its life force, what's its currency. I'll share with you guys who haven't maybe heard this story, but like Kate, I had a sudden passing in my family. I'm mindful to speak the whole truth of it because I haven't actually spoken the truth of it to my children and it was their pappy. So I will respectfully say that my father passed away from a sudden heart attack having a fight with a neighbor. So I got a phone call. I was doing someone's hair. I got a phone call from a relative that I wasn't having anything to do with. And initially I was angry that they even had access to my phone number and kind of missed the importance of the call because I was so busy being angry at her for accessing me that when she sort of said, you know, dad's had a turn, I couldn't hear the words because I let all the other shit cloud it. And I said to her, I'll be there when I can be there. I'm doing someone's foils. I just gave her absolute attitude. And um, I kept doing this lady's hair and this lady is a nurse. She's not a hospice nurse, but she works around medical facility. And I said, oh, my dad's had a turn. Apparently they're taking him to the ambulance. But at that point, I believed that he was cognitive and talking and was okay because I didn't give her the space to actually tell me what was really going on. I just kept shutting her down and shutting her down. And I didn't get the information because I let the crap in the poor relationship, infect the message she was trying to give to me. And so it wasn't until my auntie rang 10 minutes later, who I have a really cherished relationship with and said, Gail, pack your shit. I'm picking you up. You're coming with me now. And I was like, oh, I'm just doing someone's hair. And she said, this is serious. He's had a massive heart attack and they can't revive him. And this was on the footpath at the front of their house. My client could hear all this and she's going, I'm going, I'm leaving. Rushed out the door with a head full of foils. It was just a no-brainer for her. But for me, I was still pissed off. I was still in, how the fuck did she get my number? How did she get access to me? I put so many things in place to deny her me because it was a very toxic part of our family life at that moment. And so when my auntie rang, it stopped me dead in my tracks. It was this, 
oh, so this is serious. And she's like, yes, honey, this is very serious. And uh, she said, you can't drive. And I'm like, can't I? You know, because I just was oblivious. I just didn't really get what was going on. And so she picked me up and we went there and I arrived to this scene, a crime scene is what it was actually, because other people had been involved in contributing to his death. So there was an autopsy team coming. It was chaos. The newspapers and reporters were everywhere. And someone must have warned them that my sister and I, who made the phone call, weren't getting along and hadn't been speaking for a number of years. Because when I arrived, now I'd been the good daughter, so I had maintained the relationship. But when I arrived, I was treated like the family member that was on the out. They were very cautious. They didn't know what to expect from me. And I was kind of assessing the scene, seeing all these lights flashing, seeing all these people watching seeing my sister. And by then she'd gathered a group of junkie friends who I don't use that word anymore, but back then that was the word I used. Very unwell people, lots of drug abusers, lots of alcoholics. Somehow this mass had formed for her. And there was my poor dad laying on his front footpath, deceased and looking very old all of a sudden, like when someone's not smiling anymore and when someone's not moving and there's no voice, just really old. And I remember energetically, that there was this chaos going on around him. But when I entered his auric bubble, it had probably only been maybe seven or eight minutes since he they'd stopped working on him. So he had lots of medical stuff everywhere. And I entered his space and it was like all the noise just went, dissolved. It was just me and him, his essence and me. And I just sat down and his hand was still warm. And I just said, oh, no, Dad, what's happened? And I just kind of spoke to this being that was in this bubble with me. And I knew that he died. I was well aware of all of that. But there was something so much bigger and more powerful that when I stepped in his space of about a meter and a half, I was instantly encapsulated in this absolutely beautiful, sorrowful, pitiful space and I just held his hand. It was really warm. And I just said, oh, no. And I just said, and how did you get so old so quickly? And I just kind of patted to him. It's weird. I could look around everyone and I could see like people drinking and people on their police radios talking. And I could see my husband arriving and I could see all this stuff, but there was no sound. It was just me and him. And I'm thankful that I had that moment of silence of all the outside noise. So I could absolutely just cherish that space with him. And then after that, it was weeks of, unfortunately for um, my sister, her mental health and drug disease just escalated really, really poorly. She blamed herself. And then that created a whole heap of mess afterwards. Talking to my friend recently on Friendship Through the Decades, which is an episode I've done with her, she said to me, it was a good year that you were gone. Like you text me back or you'd have a cup of tea with me. But she said, you were gone for such a long time. And I knew you'd come back, but it took a full year before you were truly back. And that's because of all the post-trauma that happens, you know, when someone passes away. For me, all the annoying things and even the fighting with my sister and everything, it didn't matter anymore. It was all for nothing. And what a fucking waste of relationship and time. Now, I'm not saying you forgive everybody for every cruel misdemeanor that's ever been done. That's your space to create boundaries on who's healthy for you and who's not. But it was just that matter of this didn't have to be this bad. They didn't have to get this awful. And 
even trying to attend a funeral with people that you're angry at. It's awful. It makes mm-hmm. grieving 10 times harder. And it's so that how do how do we put it aside, the shit that's been going on for us so that we can just function together? So, you know, again, I hadn't sat with this person for years and now we're sitting at funeral homes together trying to make conversations and she's coming down off the gear. So she's sort of all over the place and we're trying to keep her as grounded as possible and she's it was just a mess. And so even for us though, because dad had to go to Melbourne and have a full autopsy to make sure the cause of death was not to do with the other people he was in a fight with, even then, two and a half weeks later, I felt the funeral was too soon. Mm. And I can't believe like when some people have their funeral five or six days later, I'm like, how do you process that? Yes, obviously if they've passed away and you've been planning for their death for a while, but I just feel like For those who don't know, I've recently done a death doula course. I've sat with two people through their end of life journey. And I really want to go back to what Kate said before about the privilege of being with someone when they leave this life. And how many times in my hairdressing chair, I've had clients going through the farewells with family members and, you know, understandably saying things like, I don't want to see them as they are. I just want to remember the person they always were. But let me tell you, folks, Mm -hmm. you will never regret going to say your last goodbye. And while that person, especially if it's been a terminal illness, might be whittling down to a mere shadow of the person they used to be, I promise you, you will not remember that image for long. It really does fade. And the bravest part of being with someone at the end of their life is looking past that tiny little whittled body on the bed and the huskiness or the dark, heavy breathing and realizing that the palliative care nurses and the doctors had got them in the most comfortable possible state but they can still hear everything that Mm. you want to say. And so for you and for them, just go. Just go and say what you need to say. You'll never regret it, but you will regret trying to let ego talk to you out of doing something because it's uncomfortable or because it might make you shed a few tears. And so, Kate, how did you talk through families going through that stage where, you know, the sight of end of life or the sight of death and the smells and all those things, do you think the education has to come before they enter the room as a family? Yeah, and I think the context that the person's entering the space of the dying person is important as well. And I guess the thing about being in that space day after day is my motto was always never assume that they've had any experience of anything. Yeah. And at the same time, I'd try to be a bit humorous and say, if I'm telling you to suck eggs, I apologise, but I'm going to assume that you don't have any kind of knowledge of this process. So let me start from the beginning. And that was for everybody. Yep. Always. Even if they had a nursing background or were a medical person or whatever it may have been, I never like to assume that people understand or have any experience in it. And that was that was just a way that I operated. And that was great because people then felt like they could ask questions through the process and questions are so, so important. If you have made that great decision like Gail's suggesting and I totally back it 100%, make the call to go and see your loved one because it it is a privilege and a great, beautiful experience. And sometimes they might be waiting for you to roll in. Oh, absolutely, 110%. A lot of times where people were waiting for somebody to come and say goodbye before they would say goodbye to this earth. So you know, if you're not going to do it for yourself, maybe do it for them because they could well be waiting for you. 
But it's just walking people through the process and not doing that in a hurried fashion and asking them what questions they might have and that I've heard it all before, you know. Yeah. And, and I really had and I love people's questions and I loved trying to understand where they were coming from and their position in the process and the dynamics of the family. It's just a cool experience for me always, even when it was hard, you know, even yeah. when it was a challenging, we're trying to work out timing for this family member to come because that family member doesn't get along or. And do you think, come. sorry, do you think there's actually a lot more families like that than cohesively all getting along? Do you see a split in, you know, families that are functioning well and have got it together and then the families who there's complications? Yes and no, Gail. So what I was really grateful to see is how many families do put their differences aside for that experience. So the grace of people in that time of adversity, I suppose you could say, I was surprised because I thought that people may, despite their differences and this beautiful experience that they've got would still have blues you know I thought that it would be harder than my experience actually was so a bit of the you know what really matters in the end I feel like I was privileged to see the beauty of humanity even when things were hard with family dynamics and people were able more often than not to set their differences aside or were willing to work with us to work with the other people to make the experience good for the dying person. So that's a relief after 10 years because every time you heard that the dynamics were a bit tricky, you're like, ooh, how are we going to go here? Only once did I have some person try and throw a big boulder through a window (laughs) at a family member, but otherwise it's pretty all right. Yes, people have their differences and, yes, there are broken families and it is a challenge, but I was very impressed by the humanity of people at those times. So, And I think that's the number one thing, isn't it? There's so much media that goes into bad people or bad people doing things, but overall, inherently, most humans are wonderful people. It's just that, are you speaking to them the right way? Are you acknowledging that they even exist? Are you giving them the space to shine? And so when everyone gets that opportunity, and sometimes it's even coming to see someone at the end of their life, gives someone the space to be recognised and validated. Absolutely. And that is important too. Yeah, I think on the other hand, when the dying person requests not to see people is more difficult than of course to manage than if somebody has got issues with other family members. I think that's probably harder to navigate for visitors who are coming in or into their space because Our job is to advocate for that person in that bed. And so we would ask respectfully that people don't attend if they'd called or that request had been made. Wow, I didn't even consider that. That's like the ultimate big finger to people pleasing. You know, you respect that person in the bed for holding those boundaries and the things you can learn from dying people to take with you on your own journey. It fills you big time. Like, how lucky. You are to have these lifetimes being expressed to you at the end of their lives and you get to learn from them. It's like, I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. 
I should be paying you, mate. In yeah, the that's right. For the, for the lessons that I'm gleaning from my beautiful experience in caring for you. So, yeah, it's so good. Listen to me. I feel like I want to be back talking about this. <laughs> well, it's nice for you to be able to reflect on a, a big part of your life with such a fondness. Mm, and so yeah. there we go. Are you, listener, able to reflect back on something in your life with great fondness? Are you sitting in a job now that's making you miserable? Life is too fucking short. Mm-hmm. It is too short. And yes, we all need to make a dollar, but you've got to make a dollar in the best way that fills your cup. Because like Kate's saying, in the end, when you're laying there and you're crossing over that rainbow bridge, they're the things that will haunt you. Mm-hmm. All be a great expression of pride. Yes. Because that is, you would often see more the gratitude of a dying person, I'd say 95% of the time, versus the disdain for life lived by the 5%. And that is why it's such a beautiful space is that people are so profound in their dying. And I think for people too to be reassured, I remember one of my mentors in nursing, she said, you know, If they've been a prick in life, they're going to be a prick in death. So don't think that your loved one's just going to all of a sudden have this miraculous moment and be all worldly and woke and want to seek forgiveness and be this beautiful human. People often in death are as they are in life. That's the lion hearts too, you know. If somebody is taking time to pass away, I'll often ask the family, tell me about him or her. Like, were they a staunch person? Were they somebody who was strong and, you know, steadfast and did everything on their own terms? And they'll tell you these stories about their loved one. And you're like, okay, so this is just a representation of your dear mum, dad, brother, sister, et cetera. Oh, absolutely. They're just living it out. They're just living it out. All the way to the end. That's right. Even for our grandfather when he passed, he was holding on and holding on and holding on and we'd all been giving permission and we'd gone in and said our goodbyes and he ended up passing away when all the grandchildren left the room and all the adults had fallen asleep. He was such a proud man that never wanted to be the centre of attention and didn't want people fussing over him. He was very loving, but I think it was my auntie who said she heard this big gasp and I think he, she said he sat right up and he laid back down and that was it. It was like he just didn't want anyone to actively witness that for him. So that waiting for us to all have gone and then for everyone else to have peacefully been asleep. And with my grandma, we were sitting Virgil with her and I noticed, you know, it's really important to put all assumptions aside also what you think that person wants in the end. And so this is a big one. So my grandma had gone to church for a lot of her life. And then (laughs) speaking of petty things, she went to a church and someone sat in her chair, her seat where her and Pa sat. And she didn't like it. So she's like, I'm not going back there. They don't know, you know, the rules and the etiquette and all that sort of thing. So she didn't go back. A few other things happened that kind of turned her away. And she didn't really speak of faith or she never went to church or anything after that. Now, when she was dying, she was on a lot of morphine, but this one day I went into, you know, the changing of the guards to help reprieve someone. She was squirming and squirming and moving and energetically, her energy was really agitated and really dark. And my mum and auntie kept thinking she needed more pain. Really. She's in pain. She's in, And I said, nah, she's not in pain. She's got something she needs to say. And I said, come outside the room. And anyway, I went out the room. Now, my ma hadn't eaten in two weeks. She hadn't spoken in, oh, 
eight days. She'd stop groaning for a few days. The only thing she was getting is that little squeegee of water in her mouth every now and again. And I took them outside and I said, I think she needs something. And they're like, yeah, she needs pain relief. And I went, no, 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 no. It's bigger than that. It's bigger. I said, maybe she wants a priest or something. And they said, no, she turned her back on the church years ago. She wouldn't want that. She wouldn't want that. Anyway, I sent them off to make a cuppa and I went into the room and I know that the hearing is the last thing to go. And so there is an element where you can still ask or, and as I said, she hadn't spoken in a while. She hadn't eaten anything in ages. She definitely had her death rattle was pretty prominent. And I remember saying to her, I held her hand and gave it a squeeze and said, Ma, it's Gail. I see you're very uncomfortable. I see there's something bothering you. Would you like me to bring my friend in that's a pastoral carer and she can give you your last rites? And just from nowhere, she just went, yes, and screamed out this audible word that just like lifted the roof off the room. That's what she'd been waiting for was her final prayers. And I rang my client and thankfully the town we live in, she was there in 25 minutes. And my mum and my auntie and I sat in that room and she did the final prayers. And this woman went from someone squirming terribly on the bed. Now, remember, she hadn't spoken in so long. She sung those prayers like she'd said them yesterday. Tears just dropped down her cheeks. And it was like the whole room was sparkly silver. It was so beautiful. Christ just came straight to her. And it's like old friends had been reunited. And I looked at my mum and my auntie who were clearly witnessing the same thing as me. And they were shocked, kind of baffled, alarmed, because you could not deny this amazing spiritual energy in the room. The fact that we hadn't heard this woman talk in so long, and here she is reciting the Lord's Prayer with tears down, like the last bits of moisture from her poor little body dropping down on her cheeks. And then she didn't move after that once. She didn't groan. She didn't wrestle. She passed away the next day in the most peaceful, beautiful way. If the assumption had have been to go on a narrative that you told yourself, or even that she had told herself for a long time, when you see that unrest in the person, Mm -hmm. bring it up to the nurse, ask the individual, what do you need for you at the end? What's going to help you leave with minimal amount of fear and the least amount of hesitation? I'm painting the picture because I've seen this so often. And one thing that I'll put out there to your listeners is it doesn't matter what you believe in, but believe in something. Yes. Because my experience of dying is those that have a belief, whether it's I go into the ground and the worms eat me, or that God will meet me at the gates, or you might have a Buddhist thread like reincarnation. Don't care. Believe anything. Believe something and decide for yourself because the peace that comes for people who have a belief at the end of life and how they transition and how they die is so much more peaceful than those who have no belief. So Interesting. you could be a scientist, you could be anything. And so once I developed rapport with people, if they were still cognitive, would be asking, what do you believe in? And it came from a conversation I had with this beautiful, frail man. I was giving a shower and he said to me, Kate, what happens when you die? I said, well, what do you believe happens, mate? And this is where I think coaching started for me, Gail. Yeah. What do you think happens? And he said, well, I don't really know. What do you, and, and I said, well, 
have you been religious or spiritual or what do you believe happens? And you just coach the answer from them or that's what I did. So he hadn't reconciled that necessarily and he was tormented, I suppose you would Mm. say, by not having a, a belief. So that is a great anchor for people. And I also did advanced care planning as part of my career along the way, which is all about what do you want end of life to look like for you? And that conversation you need to be having with your loved ones. I had it with my own father and totally, like you said, I would have made the wrong assumption about my dad had something big happened for him. I would have went, turn off the switch because dad wouldn't want this. And I had the conversation with him after I'd done advanced care planning with his best mate who was dying of pancreatic cancer. Come home and I said, oh, Dennis is mean, have a conversation. What would you do in that situation? He goes, oh, no, if I've still got this and this, I'm happy to keep going. I'm like, shit, cuzzo, I had you dead and buried, mate. <laughs> There's no way I would have thought that that would have been what you would want. I'm so glad we've had this conversation. Yeah. So have a belief and have the conversations. Um, yeah. It's uncomfortable for people, but it's beautiful to have those chats with your loved ones and just to go through that process. So it's a privilege. It is. And it's the ultimate form of love. Oh. You know, I want to I want to send you off the way you want to be sent off. And it's a, not a really common conversation in our household, but we get really creative on what's going to happen to our remains. <laughs> and so there's fireworks going and someone's going under a tree and someone's going down a stream. And it's, Unreal. I'm not saying it's a throwawayable topic. I'm just saying when we shine light on a dark situation, everyone wins. Yeah. And it minimizes the risk and the threat of families dissolving. It makes it really clear, concrete boundaries for people. And it's just a matter of realizing. And I think for me, as even as a gardener, I realize and recognize that things die. They just do. And so even as a death doula, I know that I'm going to have some of the saddest things in my life is still to happen to me, but I'm feeling okay about them because I can't stop it. And once I release that control, it's like, a little part of my heart just opens up a little bit more. Does it mean I won't miss them any less? No. Does it mean that I don't love them anymore? No. It's just that matter of making the choice at how you live with the people you have, really, really recognizing would this matter in the end? And that is actually a conversation I have with myself pretty regularly. So if someone's pissing me off and it's someone I'm choosing to actively maintain a relationship with, as in I'm not ready to you know, cut that person or anything or let that friendship die. Yes, this is annoying. Would it matter in the end? Probably not. Then move on. Mm -hmm. Have your feeling, sit in it, journal it, write it out, scream it to the stars at night, how fucking annoying they are and how frustrated you are. And then let it go. Like cut the cord on that mother and just go. And so, Kate, this is our last couple of minutes. Can I ask you, what is something that you would like to take away or offer to our listeners as your last little point of reference? You've given so much goodness, but I'm just asking for one more. It really is anchor yourself back to a belief and that will serve you very, very well in life. So like Gail's question, I love that. Does it really matter in the end? If something like that anchors you, then that's a beautiful thing. If it's, you know, I believe that I will, if you can finish that sentence for yourself when the end does come, then you'll be served really well and it's okay for that to change over time as you grow as a human being. So you don't have to lock yourself into any belief system. 
just have one, however that evolves, because in the end, that's all that really matters is what's true to you and what you believe for yourself. And it will create peace in your world. That's just so beautiful. And it's so simple. Folks don't ever think it, don't ever feel it, just sit in it. It doesn't have to even have a label. It doesn't have to have, it's just that belief and that recognition of it's inevitable. And so I might as well do it with peace and grace and a level of self-acceptance. I'm going to add my takeaway is the importance of legacy. What that looks like is photos and videos, as much of those things as you can for those who have departed. Because once you're gone, honestly, you're not going to know what the hell's happening. But for those left behind, to help them through their grief, things like, you know, people say to me with weddings and things, I'm getting this photographer as a hairdresser. And I say, look, a photographer's great, but a video man is even better. Because in 10 years, some of the people on that video won't be there, but you're going to want to hear how they talk. You're going to see their goofy smile. And anything in a still image is beautiful, but anything in a moving image that you can hold on to when that person goes, that you can introduce their quirks to generations that come down the line, that is gold. And making sure that, you know, we share our wisdom. The same with what you're doing, Kate, with Ladies with Tradies, the same with me with Soul Care Bendigo. Any information that we keep just for ourselves is not going to serve the greater good. So being of service to share our knowledge, to share our strategies, to share our wisdom and experiences and the real life stories means that everyone can learn a little bit more. Everyone can be a bit more free to share theirs bravely and life just becomes a little bit lighter, less lonely, more anchored and that little bit softer. So thank you, Kate. As always, they're the most great conversations of light and hope Even on the heaviest of topics, you seem to somehow effortlessly make it doable and easy. So thank you. Thanks for coming to spend your time with us today at The Naked Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been absolutely beautiful. And I wish you all the best. And I hope that you get stronger and better and everything just, you know, you've got a great holiday coming up soon. Sunshine, warm on your shoulders, all the best medicines for a human. Beautiful. Thanks so much, Gail. That's okay. Thank you, listeners. Thank you again for lending me your hearts and your ears. It has been wonderful chatting with you today. Take care of yourself and each other. And that's all for today, folks. As always, thank you for lending me your ears and your hearts. I feel so grateful and blessed to be able to share these stories with you and bring us together as a community. This is Gail Wilson, and this is Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. Don't forget to follow and subscribe so that you get notifications on the next episode as it lands. Take care and just be kind to yourself.